Chance. That's Hello and Cree. Welcome to Catching Frogs. I'm Wendy Stewart. Thanks for joining me today. I'm grateful to the Canada Council for the Arts for their support of this project on my journey to reconnect with my Cree and Métis roots and to revisit the history of Canada through the lens of Indigenous women and their significant contribution. But none of this would be possible had it not been for the tireless commitment of Donna Sutherland, my second cousin, and the 10 years of her dedicated research. We begin. I've spent quite some time reading the journals of Colin Robertson, and the reason for that will become clear in a later episode. And this side route I've taken to follow Robertson has also steered me away from Indigenous women and their story. But I will return to that. So little is written about Indigenous women, so to understand what their lives were like, I had to know what the men were doing so that I might fill in those missing pieces. Upon arriving at the ruins of the Red River Colony on July 14, 1815, Robertson found John McLeod of the Hudson's Bay Company in the blacksmith shop that was the only building still standing. He was very impressed with this young man who had already started to rebuild. Quote, in the afternoon, a number of Métis and Freemen paid me a visit. I soon learned by whom and by what means the colony was destroyed. The Métis told me frankly that they were paid by the Northwest Company to drive away the colonists. End quote. Robertson wrote of his frustration that there was no fort or bastion built when it was known the Northwest Company wished to destroy the colony. No good was ever going to come from turning over Captain Miles MacDonnell, the leader of the colony. After three years of building the colony, more preparedness should have been in place. Pritchard and Fiddler and Sutherland all knew the Northwest Company could not withstand more than ten days as they would run out of food. Robertson had been suspicious of the praise given the land of the colony, but he corrected himself, quote, It is the finest country I ever beheld. Both sides of the river are clothed with stately oaks, elm, maple, and poplar. The settlement was on the north side where nature seems to have intended a colony, as the land is already cleared. What appears to me astonishing are the amazing returns which this soil yields on the slightest tillage. Wheat, barley, and potatoes give from 30 to 40 returns. There was one field of early wheat. I think it belonged to Mr. McLean, superior to any kind of grain I ever saw in England. End quote. Robertson met Chief Pigwis on July 15th, who asked him to have the colony reestablished. Robertson was on his way to Jack River. He came upon Governor Thomas, Fiddler, and Bird. What astonished him was these men told him they had no provisions for the Robertson's brigade of 140 men. Mr. Bird seemed embarrassed, Robertson wrote. Robertson had written to Thomas to say the brigade was coming and what their needs were. He wanted to throw up his hands in frustration, but instead... He asked Thomas to give an order to DeCoin and for him to proceed to Jack River and have the man in charge at Jack River send a boat with 20 bags of pemmican immediately to meet the brigade. Robertson then went with Thomas Fiddler and Bird while DeCoin set off quickly to Jack River. 
Robertson arrived at Jack River on July 21, 1815, where he found the remaining colonists. He wrote, quote, Jack River is a miserable-looking place. They call it a fort, but it is only a couple of huts stuck between two large rocks, end quote. He wrote of the goods ready for the Athabasca, but the gunpowder was in poorly constructed kegs. He wanted the packaging to be assorted so that if a canoe or bundles were lost, as was often the case, not all of one item would be lost, which makes very good sense. Robertson was back at the colony site waiting on the arrival of the brigade from Montreal, and he feared the lack of provisions the men were enduring. On July 31st, Mr. Logan arrived with 18 canoes. Governor Thomas gave them a keg of rum and some sugar and a bag of flour as a regale. The men described how the Northwest Company canoes followed them with ham and pork and sausages, trying to entice the men to desert, knowing they were starving but they held firm. On August 5th, Robertson assembled the colony's servants and the settlers and informed them of his intention to leave Jack River for the Red River on August 8th. If they wanted to come with him, he would gladly take them, but they had to agree not to visit any Northwest Company establishments, and if they didn't think they could obey that, they should speak now. They all agreed they left Jack River with three boats, with 35 men, women, and children. Robertson wrote of the ruin of the colony and mentioned that the cattle that William Sinclair shared with the first group arriving in 1812, the two calves, Adam and Eve, had been slaughtered for one of the officers of the Northwest Company. When he spoke to any Northwest Company men, they all made sure to slip into the conversation that the settlement had been ruined by the half-breeds. How long will these people be allowed to impose on the world, and how long will the public be deluded by the falsehoods they relate? Robertson wrote in his journal. Mr. McDougall, I'm guessing Alexander McDougall, who was a partner of the Northwest Company, granted commissions to some of the Northwest Company gentry under the pretense of them bringing the Indian tribes to act on the American frontier. Quote, but at all events, the business ought to be investigated, for under the honorable garb of a British officer and the highly respectable one, a magistrate, British subjects driven from their homes, their habitations burnt, and their property pillaged, it now remains to be decided whether government will permit this mockery of the laws and this insult to the British army." End quote. In conversations with the Métis, they related that Officer Cameron of the Northwest Company told them repeatedly that Captain Macdonnell was going to make slaves of them, and they believed it. The authors of all the calamities that happened are the Northwest Company, Robertson wrote. Very few horses were left on the colony. Cameron of the Northwest Company told the Métis not to give the settlers a morsel of provisions or shelter last winter and in the spring, and he provided the Métis with gunpowder and balls. The Northwest Company wanted the Métis to sign a paper taking full responsibility for the spring uprising. Robertson observed that the natives were very attached to serving the colonists because it was a more equal relationship. They didn't have to risk their lives to procure furs so that they might trade for supplies. On September 10th, Robertson got word that Cameron was coming to the settlement. 
Robertson hurried the settlers to bring in the grain so Cameron couldn't set fire to it. On Cameron's arrival, he rode down the plains in full uniform with a band of half-breeds, freemen, and Northwest Company servants, 60 or 70 in all, and the sight of them worried the settlers. The Northwest Company stole the settlers' horses, and Robertson tried to buy them back. He brought horses from Brandon House, and the Northwest Company tried to take one horse from a settler, but he stood firm. A man tried to join the Hudson's Bay Company, but Robertson was suspicious of him and believed he was sent by Cameron, which he was. The settlers talked of the tactics Cameron used, holding a grand ball with him in full uniform where he would strut amongst the guests, offering them protection against the dangerous and angry natives. He would denounce Captain Macdonell's abilities, and the colonists would whisper of the great man Cameron was. Interesting fact is that Cameron is written up as a fine man in our records of history. While he had been busy serving his own ambitions as a partner of the Northwest Company, doing anything within his power to destroy the settlement at Red River. I read up on John Dugald Cameron. He was made a partner of the Northwest Company in 1813. The biography was written by Sylvia Van Kirk, and I'm guessing she never read Robertson's journals. Surprisingly, she speaks highly of his efforts to settle Canada, bringing a large group of settlers to Upper Canada in the spring of 1815. She doesn't write that first they destroyed the colony at Red River so that they could bring the settlers over to their side, and didn't mention they were required to sign a statement exonerating the Northwest Company of any wrongdoing before they were allowed passage. Interesting, it was Cameron who in 1830 renamed the Rainy Lake Post, Fort Lac Le Pluie, to Fort Francis in honor of the visit of George Simpson's young English bride, Frances Ramsey Simpson. I have something to say about George Simpson in a later episode. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up on a farm near Fort Francis. The Northwest Company thought they would have complete control of the Red River after the spring destruction in 1815, so they sent all their goods to the Athabasca, which turned out to be an error in judgment, leaving Fort William very low in supplies. On October 13th, Robertson wrote of an amazing spectacle. Chief Pegwis arrived with 65 men, and then the whole squadron came into sight on the river with 150 canoes, with a, quote, wild but grand appearance, their bodies painted in various colours, their heads decorated, some with branches, others with feathers. Every time we fired the cannons, the woods echoed with that wild whoop of joy, end quote. They shared a peace pipe, and not a single sound was heard, not even a whisper. Robertson made a speech with the use of an interpreter. It was a lengthy speech, but this is the beginning of it. Quote, One of the greatest pleasures in the world is to see those we love and esteem, in particular those who have showed us kindness in adversity. In prosperity thousands of friends flock around us to partake of our wealth, but the balm that is poured into the wounded mind when surrounded by misfortunes makes an impression which time cannot erase. 
You, my relations, are one of them, and the sight of you diffuses a pleasure and excites feelings towards your countrymen, which are more easily conceived than expressed. You have bound the English by a tie that can never be dissolved, and the name Peguis shall be united with that of our bravest chiefs. End quote. Robertson went on at length, speaking of, quote, rum, the deadly enemy of your nation, has enriched the traitor and impoverished the Indian. He explained that the hypocrisy wasn't lost on him, that he now makes a gift of rum, tobacco, and ammunition, cloth, and blankets. He asked them only that whoever they side with to do so in honesty. Peguis responded, quote, My brother, I am charmed and pleased with the good counsel you have given me, which I will endeavor to follow to the utmost of my power. Your counsel and good advice will in time break the chain that binds us to the fiery water. End quote. On October 16th, Robertson sent a boat with five men to Gibraltar to bring down Cameron. Seraphim and Holtz arrived 9 a.m. when Cameron began ardently soliciting for his liberty. Robertson told him he would be released if he put a stop to the violent measures that he would not directly or indirectly seduce any immigrants that Lord Selkirk had or will send to the country. End quote. Cameron was then returned to Fort Gibraltar. On October 17th, a letter from Mr. Byrd on the arrival of 80 colonists and Robert Semple, Governor-in-Chief of all Hudson's Bay Company territories and controlling power over the colony. Robertson was astonished there were no instructions for him. They had no warning of this arrival and were not prepared. Robertson met Governor Semple at Frog Plains, accompanied by Mr. Sutherland and Fiddler. Semple was, quote, charmed with the appearance of the country, end quote. 120 colonists and servants arrived. Robertson was frustrated as he was supposed to have received notice from Mr. Thomas of the colonists' arrival and an exchange of packets was to happen, which didn't. The Earl of Selkirk would not have any idea what was going on because Robertson's letters didn't reach York in time for the ship. To claim the company's territorial rights, they may as well, quote, attempt to take hold of the moon with their teeth, end quote. On November 12th, he received letters from Montreal written June 20th and from London written March 25th. The instructions from London were to promote the settlement with vigor. The last entry of that journal was November 30th, 1815. December 1, 1815, Robertson showed Governor Semple his favorite spot. They walked and talked, and Semple wonders if the Northwest Company will be up to its same pranks. They discussed introducing religion to the natives and whether it should be the Church of England or the Catholics. There is certainly a tone of Christianizing indigenous people and replacing their belief system. There was little or no snow that season, making hunting difficult, as the animals take to the woods when the snow is deep, where they can be found, but on the open plains they are very difficult to hunt. Robertson called the settlers together on December 6th and told them the state of the stores and all effort was needed to preserve grain for seed for the coming season. 
old widow McLean regaled them with stories as to how Cameron seduced the deserters and how they were promised land and could escape the debt owing to Lord Selkirk and would receive a gift, and all they had to do was sign a paper saying they were being held prisoner by the colony and were in constant fear of being murdered by the natives. Robertson explained to them how the Northwest Company was able to wield such control. Simply put, power begets power and can hide a multitude of sins. The Northwest Company believed, according to Robertson, quote, a country situated nearly 3,000 miles from the civilized world could enable them to put all law and justice at defiance. They will fall, but they will make a desperate struggle before that period arrives, so that the years 1816 and 1817 will be an important era in the history of this country, end quote. Quite a premonition. Robertson wrote in his journal about a man who got lost in the spring of 1816 and then boasted about the great distance he had walked, but had merely been walking in circles. Quote, an Englishman, wherever he goes, most always thinks himself superior to the strangers he visits. End quote. Robertson caught a 95-pound sturgeon in the river. Anxiety was high in March of 1816. On March 17th, Robertson and his men seized Gibraltar from the Northwest Company. In Cameron's possession, they found letters a year old that were addressed to the Hudson's Bay Company. He found an unfinished letter to James Grant at Fond du Lac, requesting Grant send a band of Indians to pillage the settlement in the spring, and another letter saying the storm is coming to the colony, which will make last spring's skirmish seem like nothing. Robertson moved into Gibraltar. The settlers and servants were full of complaints. The Indians wanted Cameron to be released because they thought death was far preferred to confinement, and they were feeling pity for Cameron. It makes so much sense in understanding Indigenous people and their habits. They have always lived a life on the move, and how difficult it would be for them to think in terms of a permanent community. The ice was out of the Red River by April 26th, but the Assiniboine was fast with ice. Robertson wrote, Had there been more snow in the winter months, the rivers would have been clear by April 10th. Semple had no plan to keep the colony safe and wasn't willing to listen to the wisdom Robertson had acquired since his arrival, and Semple paid more attention to MacDonnell. I am guessing this is the MacDonnell whom Lord Selkirk put in charge at the Baldoon settlement above Lake St. Clair that failed, mentioned in a previous episode. He only calls them by Mr. MacDonnell and MacDonnell, so, you know, I get confused as to which one is which. Captain MacDonnell was being held under guard at Fort William, and I found no mention of his release in Robertson's notes. Robertson was becoming disheartened and frustrated, and in early May of 1816, he wrote a letter of resignation. He feared for the colonists, and if he left and something happened, he would be blamed, and if he stayed and his plans were not followed, he would also be blamed for the failure. Robertson wrote about Semple's officers who, quote, cannot bear the sight of an Indian, end quote. Robertson had no use for men like this. Indians were telling him they were treated poorly at Fort Douglas by Semple and his officers. There were serious misunderstandings between Semple and Robertson. Robertson was ready to depart. 
June 6, 1816, the settlers asked Robertson not to leave them, but he knew they would not listen to Semple and his instructions for them if Robertson was still there, so he felt he must go. June 10th, Chief Pegwas made a gift of maple syrup to Robertson. Some of the colonists wanted to leave with Robertson. Indians from Brandon House arrived with the news that the Northwest Company was marching toward the colony to destroy it. Robertson took this news to Fort Douglas to speak with Semple when Officer Burke burst in and held a gun to Robertson's chest. All the men demanded Burke be discharged, but Semple refused. So they laid down their arms, despite Robertson pleading with them not to. Robertson left the colony, feeling certain that Semple would be safe at Fort Douglas, as it had a month's worth of provisions, and the Northwest Company only had a few days of provisions. Robertson highlighted in his notes what he had done for the colony. He came to this country on a mission to save the settlement, and his remuneration was to be decided on the success of his mission. He brought an expedition from Quebec through enemy country without assistance from the Hudson's Bay Company officers, all while the Northwest Company was making his journey as difficult as possible, by setting fire to the portages and making procuring provisions very difficult, and by trying to encourage Robertson's men to abandon the Hudson's Bay Company. He found a settlement destroyed and the remaining settlers ready to return to England. He reestablished the settlement, convincing settlers to stay on the land they had been driven from only two months earlier. With a handful of men, he took possession of Fort Gibraltar twice. He provided subsistence for nearly 200 souls in an enemy's country without an ounce of English provisions. He only agreed to do the expedition from Montreal, yet he did so much more. Hi, hi, which means thank you in Cree. Hi, hi for listening. Bye for now.